0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Tom, Dick and Hyman Show. Just me today, Tom the Vulgar, and a bit later, I'm going to be talking about hashtag tube chat and asking why don't we like talking on the underground? But before that, two old steam-powered locomotives collide with one being completely derailed. No, it's not a ruined day out at Alton Towers, although most assuredly there will be a high-profile lawsuit It's the U.S. Presidential Election Debate! Woo-hoo! All aboard the train, whose destination is disaster. Oh, boy, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Hillary versus Trump. The debate. So, just... Going through this pretty quickly, I think Hillary had a very strong performance. She came off as pretty much, you know, like a statesman, as you would hope, of the president. And she kept her call in the face of being spoken over repeatedly by Trump. She gave clear and concise answers, although they were obviously prepared answered, but still, she got in a few zingers on old Trump, who by comparison was just completely bombastic, chaotic. He was just like a scattergun. He was just all over the place. Although, uh, having said that, he did get off to a good start. I'd say the first half an hour, first 35 minutes or so, he was probably beating hillary and then about an hour into it he just started to fall apart completely And of course it was a 19 minute debate so you can't only do well in the first half hour and then fuck up the next hour and uh it was woman problems that were kind of it was woman problems that were trump's downfall on this one and uh just quickly after the debate after the debate Trump gave really kind of lame excuse for uh, his bad performance by saying, oh, it was the microphone, the microphone was broken. And uh, yeah, one of the big talking points in the media coming out of this debate was Trump sniffing, just incessant sniffing. And uh, So Trump blamed it on a bad microphone, but let's be frank here, let's be honest. That's a lame excuse for why he had such a bad performance. The real culprit here is the fact that Trump just did not prepare for these debates at all, and it showed. So Lester Holt, our host slash moderator for this debate, he kicked us off on the economy and job creation. And uh Hillary, she adopted a very kind of Bernie Sanders-esque stance on this one. Her rhetoric included things like the backing of profit-sharing schemes and she said she was going to levy high tax rates against America's highest income earners.
1: First, we have to build an economy that works for everyone, not just those at the top. That means we need new jobs, good jobs, with rising incomes. I want us to invest in you. I want us to invest in your future. That means jobs in infrastructure, in advanced manufacturing innovation and technology, clean renewable energy, and small business, because most of the new jobs will come from small business. We also have to make the economy fairer. That starts with raising the national minimum wage, and also guarantee, finally, equal pay for women's work. I also want to see more companies do profit sharing. If you help create the profits, you should be able to share in them, not just the executives at the top. And I want us to do more to support people who are struggling to balance family and work.
0: So uh, pretty good stuff there from Hillary. Like the sound of that. Would have liked to have heard a little bit more on things like trade unionism and co-ops and things like that. But pretty, pretty good if you ask me. By comparison, Trump, he just simply suggested lowering the corporate tax rate from 30% down to 15% in order to create jobs. And he also threatened the use of economic tariffs, trade tariffs on foreign exports in order to be able to renegotiate trade deals that are better for America. Trump playing the wealth creation card there that it takes wealthy people to create wealth. So in turn, Hillary attacked Trump's wealthy upbringing, his silver spoon in mouth upbringing, and she bigged up her middle class childhood. It's a shame she's not the son of a bus driver, innit? So she attacked Trump's policy, calling it Trumped up, trickle down. And uh, I think Hillary expected, when she said this, I think she expected the audience to give out a big laugh and there was just no reaction whatsoever, bombed big time, but no matter, she made her point. Trump fired back by suggesting Hillary has spent 30 years in Washington making bad deals and bad decisions. And it's only now, after the rise of Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, that she's changing her tune. Trump blamed politicians like Hillary Clinton for working class and middle class America's woes.
2: But in all fairness to Secretary Clinton, when she started talking about this, it was really very recently. She's been doing this for 30 years. And why hasn't she made the agreements better? The NAFTA agreement is defective just because of the tax and many other reasons, but just because of the fact Secretary Clinton and others, politicians should have been doing this for years, not right now, because of the fact that we've created a movement. What's happened to our jobs and our country and our economy generally is, look, we owe $20 trillion. We cannot do it any longer, Lester. And on top of that, he said this. Just to ask you this, you've been doing this for 30 years. Why are you just thinking about these solutions right now? For 30 years you've been doing it, and now you're just starting to think of solutions. Well, actually... I will bring, actually excuse me.
1: I will bring back jobs. You can't bring back jobs. Well, actually, um, I have thought about this quite a bit. Yeah, for 30 years. I have... Uh, well, not quite that long.
0: Trump firing back there. All guns blazing. Like I say, he did have a good start. This is the sort of rhetoric that will resonate well with working class and middle class Americans. So Trump's doing all right here. Trump's playing his I'm a Washington outsider card here. To good effect, I might say. That's also gonna go down well with the public. This the idea that listen, I'm I'm not a corrupt politician, I'm I'm something else. We'll play a little example of what I mean here.
2: Typical politician. All talk, no action, sounds good, doesn't work, never going to happen. Our country is suffering because people like Secretary Clinton have made such bad decisions in terms of our jobs and in terms of what's going on.
0: That line right there, probably Trump's peak in terms of, uh, that was probably the best Trump performed on the night. He hit his peak there and then it was just all downhill from then onwards. Hillary defended herself by blaming the tanking economy on risk-taking bankers and and the housing market crash. And in regards to the housing market crash, she landed a nice blow with this one.
1: In fact, Donald was one of the people who rooted for the housing crisis. He said back in 2006... Gee, I I hope it does collapse, because then I can go in and buy some and make some money. Well, it did collapse.
2: That's called business, by the way.
1: Nine million people. (laughs) Nine million people lost their jobs.
0: A good attack there from Hillary. It's definitely something that the public are going to view as like, oh, wow, Donald, man, what a piece of shit. But I'll be honest, like Trump said, it's good business to be able to see that the housing market was an inflated bubble, and therefore to know that it is eventually going to burst and to be prepared to buy up the cheap property that would come as a result of that, I don't think that's really beyond the pale. Like Trump says, that is kind of just, that's good business, you know. You can't really hold that against him. So when it comes to job creation, Hillary's grand idea is that as president in her first term, she would commit several million, billion, maybe even trillion dollars for government investment in renewable energies, particularly solar panels, believing she could create 10 million jobs. And in regards to renewable energy, she hit Trump with this jibe about global warming.
1: Because we will be making investments where we can grow the economy. Take clean energy. Some country is going to be the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. Donald thinks that climate change is... A hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. I think it's real. Uh, I did I not. Science I not, is
2: real. I do not say that. And
1: I think it's I do important not that. that we grip this and deal with it, both at home and abroad. And here's what we can do. We can deploy a half a billion more solar panels. We can have enough clean energy to power every home. We can build a new modern electric grid.
0: So Hillary dealing a blow there to Trump over with the accusation that he said global warming was invented by China. Now, did Donald Trump actually say that? In a way, yes. He tweeted out in 2012 the following statement. Global warming was created by and for China in order to make US manufacturing non-competitive. I think the last person on Earth who could further elaborate on just what exactly that means is Donald Trump. I don't think anybody on Earth could explain what the fuck that means. But Trump did fire back against Hillary on this one. He pointed out that uh, recently the US government, i.e. the Obama administration, had invested several hundred millions of dollars into solar panels, and it was basically a sinkhole. It was a waste of money. In comparison to Hillary Clinton, let's hear what Trump's energy policy is.
2: I'm a great believer in all forms of energy.
0: Okay, so yeah, Trump's energy policy everything shades of Sarah Palin's response to the question of what newspapers do you read? Oh, I I read all of them. Oh, wow. That's kind of impressive. Takes a lot of time. Yeah, 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 I'm amazing. So Trump was actually right there to question Hillary's policy in terms of how many jobs she thought she could actually create. But he went on to reveal that he has absolutely no energy policy of his own. He's, oh, fuck's sake. What is he doing? Next up. In the debate, the topic of trustworthiness and integrity. Now, on this front, Hillary, of course, brought up the fact that Donald Trump still hasn't released his tax returns, insisting he was hiding something, something along the lines of a possible conflict of interest, perhaps. And uh, Trump made a gaffe when it came to Hillary's shocking revelation.
1: Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight... To know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax so that makes if he's smart. paid zero, that means zero for troops, zero for vets.
0: So showing visible signs of anger
2: over that one, Trump responded with this. I will release my tax returns against my lawyer's wishes. When she releases her 33,000 emails that have been deleted, as soon as she releases them, I will release, I will release my tax returns. And that's against my lawyers. They say, don't do it. I will tell you this. Almost every lawyer says, you don't release your returns until the audit's complete. When the audit's complete, I'll do it. But I would go against them if she releases her So email. it's negotiable? It's not negotiable. No, let her release the email. Why did she delete 33,000? Well,
0: I- so the audit Trump's referencing there is a the fact he gets audited every year by the IRS, and he's saying, oh, well, look, they're auditing me right now, and I won't release my tax returns until they've finished. Now, there's actually no law, there's no rule, there's no established... Etiquette saying that you can't release your tax returns whilst you're being audited. Trump's being a little bit wishy-washy here. But that cheer from the audience lets you know that this email issue, it's still bothering them. They still view Hillary as untrustworthy due to the deleted emails. 33,000 emails she deleted. Even though Bernie Sanders was sick of hearing about them, the public, they want more. Or so it would seem. So Trump got a little bit flustered there. And then Hillary would show him how to handle dicey situations like this as she responds to the email question.
3: He also he also raised the issue of your emails. Do you want to respond to that?
1: I do. You know, I made a mistake using a private email. That's for sure. Um, And if I had to do it over again, I would obviously do it differently. Um, But I'm not going to make any excuses. It was a mistake. And I take responsibility for that.
0: There you go, Trump. That's how you do it. You show a little bit of contrition. You take responsibility for your own actions. And then if they try and continue on, if they try and do a Paxman to you and just like keep repeating it. All you do is you just keep referring to the fact that, hey, listen, I've already apologized. I've I've put my hands up. I've said I've made a mistake. That's all that I'm going to say about it. And then the issue kind of dies away after that. To make matters worse for Trump, Hillary then went on to land another solid right hook to the kidneys. She raised questions over Trump's trustworthiness and integrity.
1: You built a lot of businesses on the backs of little guys. And indeed, I have met a lot of the people who were stiffed by you and your businesses, Donald. I've met dishwashers, painters, architects, glass installers, marble installers, drapery installers like my dad was, who you refused to pay when they finished the work that you Ask them to do. We have an architect in the audience who designed one of your clubhouses at one of your golf courses. It's a beautiful facility it immediately was put to use and you wouldn't pay what the man needed to be paid, what he was charging you Maybe he do. didn't do
2: a good job and I was well, unsatisfied with do, his work, which our country do the, should do, do the too. Do
1: thousands of people that you have stiffed.
0: So another gaffe there for Trump. Should definitely have kept his mouth shut on that one. Oh boy, there's no excuse for not paying someone for their labor. And I think this is the kind of story that's going to have a lot of legs to it. Hillary is going to keep pushing on this front and i think she's going to keep finding more and more people who are willing to come forward and say yeah donald trump stiffed me you know the check he gave me bounced and he promised me this and didn't deliver it's the kind of thing that could carry on for weeks all the way right up to the election next up on the debate agenda race relations oh boy trump's fucked isn't he so Hillary, again, getting off to a good start on this one. She condemned for-profit prisons and uh, she committed herself to reducing gun violence. Well, they both did. They both agreed on that one. They both agreed to the, uh, the idea that if your name is on the no-fly list, you shouldn't be able to buy a gun. So she started off well. But then she had a little bit of a slip up. She quite, quite heavily implied that all white people are racist.
3: Secretary Clinton, last week you said we've got to do everything possible to improve policing to go right at implicit bias. Do you believe that police are implicitly biased against black people?
1: Lester, I think implicit bias is a problem for everyone, not just police. I think, unfortunately, too many of us in our great country jump to conclusions about each other. And therefore, I think we need all of us to be asking hard questions about why am I feeling this way? But when it comes to policing, since it can have literally fatal consequences, I have said in my first budget we would... Put money into that budget to help us deal with implicit bias by retraining a lot of our police officers. I've met with a group of very distinguished, experienced police chiefs a few weeks ago. They admit it's an issue. They've got a lot of concerns.
0: Mm, can't help but feel Hillary probably hurt herself there as I mean, she's painting with broad strokes, which is akin to Donald Trump. I mean, obviously, the difference is she's doing it with benevolent intentions. She's trying to say, hey, look, I'm I'm the bad one. I'm the one who has failings because I'm white. What she said there about racial sensitivity training, I mean, that's basically what she was getting at, the whole kind of uh, re-education thing. problem with the line about racial sensitivity training and things of that ilk is that um, in Britain, these schemes have been on the radar for maybe the last 10, 15 years. But in America, they've been around for 20, 25 years and if you look at race relations right now in the States, they don't seem to have had a, a good or positive effect, really. Race relations in America are pretty bad right now, and they've already been employing the kind of ideas Hillary's talking about for a while. But, you know, Hillary's giving the safe, mainstream answer here. It's kind of the answer that you would expect a politician to say, and so she's, she's meeting that bar. She's meeting the bar that Donald Trump can't get over. Just be a normal politician. Having said that, this could be the election where America says we don't want a normal politician, we want something else, something different. And that something different was Donald Trump just kind of bleating on endlessly about, oh, we have to establish law and order. The police need to be able to establish law and order. And then in a good move for Trump, he questioned Hillary Clinton's newfound enlightenment.
2: Uh, Quite strongly. I do want to bring up the fact that you were the one that brought up the word super predator about young black youth. And that's a term that I think was a, uh, it's it's been horribly met, as you know. I think you've apologized for it. But uh, I think it was a terrible thing to say. So Trump did well there to remind
0: Hillary of her checkered past when it comes to the racism issue. But he kind of squandered it, though. He didn't let that settle. He didn't let it lie in the audience's brain for a little while. He kind of, he has a very bombastic chaotic, chaotic style when it comes to debates and so he didn't let that one sink in He didn't let that one sink in because he swiftly moved on to what turned out what turns out to actually be quite a controversial subject
2: in regards to policing in new york City. and when it comes to uh, stop and frisk you know you're talking about taking guns away well i'm talking about taking guns away from gangs and people that use them and i don't think i really don't think you disagree with me on this if you want to know the truth i think maybe there's a political reason why you can't say it but i really we don't believe. In New York City, stop and frisk, we had 2,200 murders and stop and frisk brought it down to 500 murders. 500 murders is a lot of murders. Hard to believe. 500 is like supposed to be good. But we went from 2,200 to 500 and it was continued on by Mayor Bloomberg and it was terminated by current mayor.
3: Stop and frisk was ruled unconstitutional in New York because it it largely singled out black and hispanic young men. no
2: you're wrong Uh, it went before a judge who was a very against police judge Uh, it was taken away from her and our mayor our new mayor refused to go forward with the case they would have won an appeal if you look at it throughout the country there are many places the argument is that it
3: is it's a form of racial profiling
2: no the argument is that we have to take the guns away from these people that have them and that are bad people that shouldn't have them So stop and frisk actually
0: was ruled unconstitutional. The manner in which the New York Police Department were applying stop and frisk strategies was deemed to be just nothing more than racial profiling. Having said that, Trump's story about a mayor who, like, there was a mayor who did appeal the decision to try and get stop and frisk reinstated, and then a new mayor came in and they dropped the appeal... But what Trump neglected to mention there was the reason they dropped the appeal was because they were elected on a platform to abolish (laughs) stop-and-frisk completely. So being a little bit cheeky there, Trump. There's also serious doubts about whether stop-and-frisk actually had any significant impact on the levels of crime in New York City. There's been uh, studies done and the data is basically inconclusive. Uh, So when Trump refers to drops in crimes and murder rates... Those claims he's making, they're a little bit dubious. It could be down to stop and frisk. It could be down to something else. The data is inconclusive. But when Trump bangs on about law and order and talks about stop and frisk, this is one of those occasions where the the people saying that Trump's a fascist and blah, blah, blah. They kind of have of a leg to stand on. He does sound a little bit like a fascist when he's saying, ''Establish law and order. Give the police the powers they need to establish law and order.'' Trump brought it back a little bit towards the end, though.
2: Uh, Look, the African-American community has been let down by our politicians. They talk good around election time, like right now. And after the election, they said, see you later. I'll see you in four years. The African-American community. Look, the community within the inner cities has been so badly treated. They've been abused and used in order to get votes by Democrat politicians because that's what it is they've controlled these communities for up to a hundred years mr trump let me unbroken And, and i will tell you you look at the inner cities and i just left detroit and i just left philadelphia and i just you know you've seen me i've been all over the place uh you decided to stay home and that's okay but i will tell you i've been all over and i've met some of the greatest people i'll ever meet within these communities, and they are very, very upset with what their politicians have told them and what their politicians have done. That was pretty good there from Trump. That was a good line
0: playing the whole Washington outsider, I'm not a typical politician card again, which is to Trump's benefit. Unfortunately, whatever gains he made during this race relations segment, he completely lost, as Hillary would bring up the unkillable issue of birtherism. Yes, that's right. We're still talking about whether or not Barack Obama was born in the United States. Trump has absolutely no idea how to just put this one to bed for good. He just doesn't know how to kill it off. And uh, bear in mind, Hillary already showed Trump how to deal with dicey issues like this. Let's see if Trump learned anything. You
3: question his legitimacy. In the last couple of weeks, you acknowledge what most Americans have accepted for years. The president was born in the United States. Can you tell us what took you? I'll
2: I'll tell you very well, just very simple to say. Uh, Sidney Blumenthal works for the campaign and close, very close friend of Secretary Clinton and uh, her campaign manager, Patty Doyle, went to during the campaign, her campaign against President Obama fought very hard and you can go look it up and you can check it out and if you look at CNN this past week.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> instead of a show of contrition and an apology, what we got was Donald Trump actually blaming the whole risen thing. The idea that Barack Obama wasn't actually born in the United States and therefore his presidency is completely illegitimate. Trump actually blamed it on Hillary's campaign team back when she was running against Barack Obama in 2008. Yep, that's right, he's blaming Hillary. Now, in fairness to Trump, Hillary's campaign chiefs back in 2008, they toyed with the idea of highlighting the fact that Obama didn't really grow up in America, and so he didn't have the typical American upbringing, so he's not your typical American. And over time, and through the mechanism of Chinese whispers, The idea that Barack Obama is not a typical American morphed into Barack Obama is just simply not American. And it wasn't really Hillary's team that did that. Now, it would be remiss of me to not mention Bill Maher at this point. Bill Maher, a stand-up comedian and host of HBO's Real Time, during the height of the birther issue, Maher would routinely mock Donald Trump as Donald Trump was demanding Barack Obama release his long-form birth certificate. Bill Maher, meanwhile, was suggesting that Donald Trump was actually the offspring of a human and an orangutan. And uh, Trump took great offence to this and actually got one of his lawyers to issue a cease and desist letter to Bill Maher demanding that Bill Maher cannot ever imply that Donald Trump is the son of an orangutan ever again. So the debate topic moved on from race relations to cyber security and hillary once again she gave the mainstream albeit safe response of well of course we we have to increase our budget for the defense of cyber warfare and online security efforts which of course is not a bad answer it's just a safe answer trump meanwhile went on the attack but he had a slightly odd choice of phrasing
2: and as far as the cyber, I agree to parts of what Secretary Clinton said. Uh, we should be better than anybody else, and perhaps we're not. I don't think anybody knows it was Russia that broke into the DNC. She's saying Russia, 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 but I don't... Maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? But Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of. That's what we lose. Now, whether that was Russia, whether that was China, whether it was another country, we don't know. Because the truth is, under President Obama, we've lost control of things that we used to have control over. We came in with the internet, we came up with the internet, and I think Secretary Clinton and myself would agree very much, when you look at what ISIS is doing with the internet, they're beating us at our own game. ISIS. So we have to get very, very tough on cyber. So just what the
0: fuck does cyber mean? I, what is the cyber? I don't... Oh, for God's sake. Anyways, Trump's playing the Washington outsider card yet again and reminding people that he's a different type of stain in your carpet from what you're normally used to. And then came this. Uh,
2: it, is a, it is a huge problem. I have a son. He's 10 years old. He has computers. He is so good with these computers. It's unbelievable. The security aspect of cyber is very, very tough. And maybe it's it's hardly doable.
0: Okay, so Trump's showing his lack of preparation here, and um, he's kind of exposing he doesn't really know what the fuck he's talking about. Why would you mention your son as like some sort of computer whiz kid? Uh, for- anyway, I mean, this should have been an easily lobbed softball for Trump to just knock out of the park, considering Hillary's email fiasco, but... Trump's just a fuck-up. I mean, we're about an hour and ten minutes into the debate, and Trump's just resorting to waffling at this point. Hillary's just running circles around him now. And then our host-slash-moderator Lester Holt, he brought up the topic of the Iraq War. Trump tries again to launch an offensive, accusing both Barack and Hillary of actually being responsible for the creation of ISIS. Because in his mind, they were the ones who were responsible for America leaving Iraq too soon. And he accused them both of screwing up in Libya. And then Hillary fired back that that the Iraqi government that the US government recognizes as sovereign, they voted for our troops to leave. So our hands were tied in that regard. And to be honest, yeah, that is factually correct. Then Hillary launched her own offensive against Trump. Secretary Clinton.
1: Well, I hope the fact checkers are turned up and turning up the volume and really working hard. Donald supported the invasion of Iraq. Wrong. That is absolutely Wrong. proved over and over again. Wrong. He actually advocated for the actions we took in Libya and urged that uh, Gaddafi be taken out after actually doing some business with him one time
0: so trump would continue to protest his innocence but then lester holt brought up this interview on howard stern back in 2002 which proves trump was for the war kind of
2: idea who the enemy is and a lot of times the politicians don't want to tell you that are you for invading iraq yeah i guess so uh you know i wish it was i I wish the first time it was done correctly are you still against rebuilding the world trade center I'm not against rebuilding it.
0: Yeah, so in fairness to Trump there, Howard Stern was kind of giving these quick-fire questions, and Trump, you could hear he wasn't exactly... I mean, he definitely wasn't against the Iraq War, but he wasn't strongly for it, was he, really? Trump would protest his innocence with further signs of frustration building...
2: I then spoke to Sean Hannity, which everybody refuses to call Sean Hannity. I had numerous conversations with Sean Hannity at Fox, and Sean Hannity said, he said you were totally against war, because he was for the war. Why is and your we, judgment me, better than And you? that was before the war started. Sean Hannity said very strongly, to me and other people, he's willing to say, but nobody wants to call him.
0: The reason no one wants to call Sean Hannity is because he's Sean Hannity. He doesn't really have any integrity on this issue. I mean, he's so ridiculously pro-Trump, willing to overlook all of his transgressions, that no one's going to ask Sean Hannity because they're not going to believe whatever he says anyway. He's a host on Fox News, for God's sake. I mean, we're seeing the limits of Donald Trump here. I mean, all he really had to say was, was, look, I was a citizen back in 2002. I wasn't privy to certain information, At least not the kind of information that elected officials are privy to. And, at the very least, unlike Hillary, I didn't vote for the Iraq War. I'm not on public, there's no public record of me actually voting for it. But Donald Trump didn't say that. Because he's fucking useless. So in the clip I played you earlier where Hillary's pointing out that Donald Trump actually was for the Iraq war, we heard Trump talking over Hillary. And this was one of the main talking points in the media following the debate, trying to suggest that uh, Trump has this real serious problem with women. And someone at Vox.com, I don't know what you call it, someone at Vox.com, in a video all the times that Donald Trump interrupted Hillary. Let's have a little listen.
1: Well, it did collapse. That's called nine, business, by the way. Nine, It's real. I, I did I not. Science I did, is real. I do not say that. And I think, well, actually, I will bring... We, excuse me. Quite a bit. Yeah, for 30 and years. I work have, again. Well, he approved now. new jobs, he approved a balanced NAFTA, budget. Which is the
2: single worst trade incomes, deal ever approved in this country. Incomes went up jobs. Right. Well, well and done and done done you haven't done it in 30 years or 20 years. You have done it. And I have been a Secretary of State, and I have your done which which in you called it the gold uh, I standard? Well, I hope You called it the gold standard?
1: President Obama's fault? Is it President Obama's fault?
0: Even announced... All right, so you get the point there. Now, Trump, someone counted up and Trump actually interrupted Hillary Clinton a grand total of 51 times versus Hillary Clinton's interruptions of Trump, which only amounted to 17 times. Now, the media sold this as, aha, look, see, Trump is a misogynist, and that's why he interrupted Hillary so many times, and that's simply not true. If you actually go back and look at the Republican primary debates, you'll see that Trump interrupts pretty much everyone, regardless of gender or even who they are. Even if there's someone who's touted as the future of the Republican Party, or even if... They're the son of a former president and the brother of a second former president. He's going to talk over you. That's what Trump does. That's what brought Trump to the dance. That's the horse he rode in on. And it's going to be the horse he rides out on. And to exacerbate Trump's woman problem, Hillary dug up some dirt on Trump from the world of Miss Universe.
1: But this is a man who has called women pigs, slobs and dogs. And someone who has said... Pregnancy is an inconvenience to employers, who has said said women don't deserve equal pay unless they do as good a job as men. And one of the worst things he said was about a woman in a beauty contest. He loves beauty contests, supporting them and hanging around them. And he called this woman Miss Piggy. Then he called her Miss Housekeeping because she was Latina. Donald, she has a name. Where did you find Her name is Alicia Machado. Where did you find and it? And she has become a U.S. citizen, and you can bet oh, really?
2: she's going to vote okay. this November. Okay, good. Let me just tell you. Mr. Trump, Trump just you will take you. 10 seconds, and then you we're know, gonna have the final.
0: So uh, I think this line of attack, combined with the whole not paying people for their labour, I think that was highly effective for Hillary during the debate. And uh, I expect Hillary to keep pushing Trump's buttons. I mean, you could hear there that Trump was getting frustrated. People called it a meltdown. I don't know if it was a meltdown. Not every single act of frustration counts as a meltdown. But Hillary wise to keep pushing this, because I think this is Trump's Achilles heel, the idea that he has a problem with women and paying people for their work. This could be what brings Trump down. Finally, Trump has been stumped. Maybe. Well, at the very least, he was stumped during the debate. Trump had little to no good comebacks, which is the mark of a skilled debater. Unlike Hillary. Hillary, uh, she had some good responses to Trump's attacks. Uh, in particular, will go through a couple here. Uh, Trump accused Hillary of not having enough stamina to be president. Let's
2: see what Hillary comes back with. And I don't believe that Hillary has the stamina. Let's
3: let her respond.
1: Well... As soon as he travels to 112 countries and negotiates a peace deal, a ceasefire, a release of dissidents, an opening of new uh, opportunities in nations around the world, or even spends 11 hours testifying in front of uh, a congressional committee, he can talk to me about stamina. The world, let me tell you, let me tell you.
0: Hillary had another good comeback when Trump suggested that she had too many safe and pre-prepared answers.
1: I think that, I think Donald just criticized me for preparing for this debate. And yes, I did. And you know what else I prepared for? I prepared to be president. And I think that's a good thing.
3: Mr. Trump for five.
0: To top off what really was a bad night for Trump, he had some
2: embarrassing moments too, like this. Mrs. Well, I have much better judgment than she does. There's no question about that. I also have a much better temperament than she has. You know, I have a much better. She spent, let me tell you.
0: They're not buying it, Donald. They're not buying it. That's what that laughter meant, just in case you couldn't tell. So to sum up, it was a bad night for Trump. And it's looking like Hillary is the next president of the United States. The next televised debate is going to be on October 9th. And uh, I'd say most definitely Trump needs to do a hell of a lot better. He's got to be less bombastic and just less random. He's got to start focusing on what his message is to the American people. And um, I think he'd do well to actually in the next debate just to kind of ignore whatever Hillary's saying and just figure out what your message to the American people is and deliver it. Hillary, on the other hand, she's just got to maintain the course. And the only thing that I would say about Hillary, and this is kind of nitpicking, Trump was interrupting her a lot and it's kind of obvious her strategy, she knew that was going to happen going in and her strategy for it was to kind of just stand there quietly, smile and give Donald Trump enough rope to hang himself, which he did. But moving forward in the next two debates, if she doesn't stop Donald doing that, it's going to make her look weak. And I think Hillary's shown in this debate she's not weak but she kind of has to do something to stop the interruptions. I mean, she's running circles around him, so don't be afraid. You're dominating him. Don't be afraid to assert that dominance. So who won, Tom? I hear you cry. Well, I'm not going to tell you who won. I think that's what the fucking general election's for. I mean, what better way to objectively decide who won the debates than to have a national election about it? So whoever wins the election, they won the debates, obviously. And I've got to say... This kind of exemplified why I really do hate TV debates. They're ruinous to political discourse. And uh, the reason I'd say that is that they tend to just turn into stump speeches and there's no real back and forth. We've got a little bit of back and forth in this debate, but not a hell of a lot, to be honest. They were both just kind of making stump speeches. And TV debates, they, that's the kind of the case with TV debates. They're always light on policy discussion. And so, in effect, they just become glorified popularity contests. My personal preference would be to do away with TV debates, but to still have radio debates on the proviso that there's no live audience there. And the reason I say that is you don't want to give politicians a gallery that they can play to, as that's what enables the cult of personality in the first place. And, uh, you know, political discourse, it shouldn't be about personalities. It shouldn't be about who looks good. It should be about who has the better policies, the better ideas and that's why i'm not a big fan of tv debates i mean they're good for tv ratings and creating a spectacle so maybe they make for good conversation on your commute to work or maybe they don't coming up next a bittersweet tale of somebody who just wanted a polite conversation on the tube and the rest of the carriage told them to fuck off out of it some people might like to get a train to work or drive in, in a beamer or a merc some guys like to travel in my bus, but I can't be bothered with a fuss today, I gotta take my bike, cause once again the tube's on strike, the greedy bastards want extra pay, for sitting on their arse all day, even though they earn 30k, so I'm standing here in the pouring rain, where the fuck's my fucking train, London Underground, they're all lazy fucking useless cunts, London Underground, Ah, the sounds of going underground by the jam there. Great tune. Now, if you're a daily tube commuter like I am, be well accustomed to ignoring those tube badges pregnant women for wear day in, day out. But it was reported last week that some bright spark decided to make a badge declaring their interest in having a conversation on the tube modelled after the infamous and the aforementioned Baby and Board badge, and uh, the accompanying piece of card reads, Have a chat with your fellow travellers. You'll benefit from a daily chat. Start using it today. So, I mean, right off the bat, the cheery, happy-go-lucky tone is just completely wrong. I mean, they've shown a fundamental misunderstanding of people's experience on the tube, haven't they? Most of the time, you're just packed in like a can of sardines. You don't really feel like fraternising with the strangers you can smell around you. And your commute to work is not a social event. It's a quiet time to reflect on how much you hate your fucking life. to be spent pining over your ex-girlfriend. It's not a fucking dinner party. So, of course, there was immediate backlash to the badges. Once Londoners, with an internet connection, got the chance to tweet their displeasure, what is really a well-intentioned but, quite frankly, stupid idea. Let's read out some of those tweets. Jeremy Vine states, wait, that's THE Jeremy Vine of uh, BBC Radio 2 fame. He's got that little blue verified tick next to his name. Anyway, he says, anyone comes near me, one of these, I'm out the window. Another Twitter user writes, try me. Go on, I fucking dare you. Try me and watch what happens. If hashtag tube chat was in Sadiq Khan's manifesto, Zach Goldsmith would be running London right now. Well, I mean, the London mayor doesn't really run London. They don't really have any powers. Just ask Kane Livingston. Don't have any powers. I keep well, I keep asking for powers, but I don't give them to me. Just don't mention the war to old Ken there. Jack Monroe writes, I feel like civilization is ending. Yeah, all right, Jack, calm down. I'm guessing Jack's a voter. Doesn't take much to upset people these days. Uh, This actually isn't the first time these badges have been trotted out. A campaign group called Talk To Me, in parentheses, please. They tried this stunt back in 2014 and uh, they got pretty much the exact same angry reception. So just why is it Londoners hate chatting to each other on the tube? Well, I don't know about you, but I personally use that me time that you get on the underground to read a book or a newspaper or a political magazine. And, uh, you know, so of course I prefer there to be a bit of quiet on the Tube whilst I'm reading. Why don't you just go to a library then? Because all the libraries are being shut down. That's why. Thanks, Tories. But in all seriousness, London's a place where all of the quiet spaces are vanishing, are rapidly disappearing. And so I kind of hope the Tube remains to be one of those... Few places in London where you can expect a bit of quiet. I mean, it's bad enough that people talk on their phones these days on the tube, just reckless abandon. uh, Giving them the old death glare doesn't really seem to work anymore. I've I've started resorting to thinly veiled threats of violence. I do the old finger going across the neck thing, you know, like The Undertaker. But as much as we enjoy the quiet time, we get on the tube in London. I think Londoners actually quite like... The fact that we're all piled in on top of each other and it's such an overcrowded city that you just, you kind of, you just blend into the background. No one really notices you unless you're, a, you know, a bit of a freak or you're a vagrant and then people notice you but pretend they haven't noticed you. I mean, the only time I ever want to hear someone talking on the London Underground is when someone's being, you know, that passive aggressive with the old. Can you move down, please? Can you move down the carriage, please? Other people are trying to board the train. Oh, uh, and uh, of course, you know, let's talk seriously for a moment about women's experience on the London Underground. Um, why the fuck can you not move down the carriage, ladies? You're always clustering around the double doors. What is that all about? You never move down. And then they do that really annoying thing where they, like, they lean forward two inches and look at you like, oh, you can get past me now. It's like, well, no, I can't. Your feet are still planted in the exact same place they were. I can't get past you. Uh, Like Hillary, I've been thinking about this for around 30 years and I think I figured out why women don't move down the carriage. I think I've sussed it. Because you don't like having your armpits exposed, isn't it? Because when you move down the carriage, you have that high rail and you've got to put your hands up to reach it and then your armpits exposed. And I think women have got some insecurities over things like that. Just. They just don't like armpits in general. But um, Speaking of women, obviously, I do sympathise with the whole unwelcome advances thing that women sometimes get on the London Underground. But I have seen a very good deflection technique used a couple of times where the woman's got her book lying on her lap, she's reading it, and then a potential predator tries to strike up a conversation about what they're reading, and the woman will do what I call the bookend. She raises the book slowly upwards above eye level, so the predator can't maintain eye contact anymore. It's actually quite a nice, subtle way of telling someone to fuck off, isn't it? You'll feel empowered when you tell a man to fuck off. Start using it today. So I guess tube time, we look at it as me time. And we view anyone who dares enter our private space with immediate suspicion and anger of with that old, uh what the fuck do they want? Well, why are you bothering me? Go bother someone else. And I think wearing this please notice me badge, it just marks you out as a fucking weirdo that everyone else in london is trying to avoid or worse wearing the badge will just invite the fucking weirdos to you to strike up a conversation about how the clouds are making everyone stupid you know except them of course they're they're the only one that hasn't been affected by it and that's that's how they know they're the only one who isn't a psychopath as they waffle on about nazis on the moon and how jews did 9 and you'll be like oh mr livingston please can you just leave me alone but for fuck's sake leave the jews alone too Ladies and gentlemen, thank you kindly for listening. It's much appreciated. Now, I'm not going to do an Obama and tell you what to do. Just quickly, actually, can we stop with this whole wasted vote thing that Barack was going on about? A vote for a third party candidate is a plus one for that candidate. It's not a plus one for Trump or a minus one for Hillary or any of that bollocks. Just give it a rest, will you, Barry? So unlike Barack Obama and his constant making of demands, I politely request that you follow us on Twitter, at tdhshow, like us on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, and of course, you can email us with either suggestions or complaints, most likely complaints, at tdh.show at gmail.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Hopefully next time I'll have someone else here to talk to you. But until then, I bid thee farewell. Mind the doors. Mind the closing doors.